Breaking Actions Podcast, we break things down to the very last compound. My name is Summit, a.k.a. the Potty Mouth of the South. Chris, who is the actual factual, is having some technical difficulties. He'll be here shortly. We're doing something different today. We, you know, we got brought out of hiatus and it's a special one. So it's important we did this. Um, you know, Chris is a writer. We love writers on this show. Uh, Chris is a writer. Our guest is a writer. I am a failed homo sapien. But I guess I could say I'm a writer for myself and others. I say a big verse. I'm only bigging up my brother. You know, I'm big enough to do it. Everyone knows that I'm thorough, you know, because my own flow is foolish. But today, it's not about me. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I do that a lot. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Today, yeah, yeah, I appreciate you. But today we're speaking to none other than Justin Tinsley, who's written an awesome book that's come out about Biggie Smalls. It was all a dream. Uh, it's out now. Uh, go get your hands on it. But Justin joins us on the Breaking Atoms podcast. Justin, how you doing, man? Man, I, I think that was the greatest intro to a podcast that I've <laughs> ever heard. So I, I was already excited to do this. Now I'm even so, more so. So I mean, I mean, my only claim me, to man. fame in life, you know, you know, I've got a child, you know, I've done things in my life. But my only claim to fame is that I freestyle those intros. Like each and every time. Hey, look, if you freestyle that and you never plan nah. that, that is even that, that's more. A, that's my only claim to fame. That's my party trick. That's my party trick, right? Hey, look, look, look. We all we all need a claim <laughs> to fame. Some people don't have it. So consider yourself one up on at least 30% no, of the No, listen, we appreciate you. And like I said, like, you know, we're, we're obviously working on a lot of things right now, including the War Report series. But we wanted to make sure we spoke to you um, about this book. Obviously, Biggie turned 50 very recently. I can't, I'd be remiss. Oh my God. See, this is what happens when you do freestyle stuff. How can I be remiss to think that Justin is the guy who opened up for Hove and Puff on a on a Twitter space? Like, come on, doesn't get any better than that. Like, Hove is like, yo, Justin in his book. Puff is like, homeboy with the book. Like, you know, he may have not called you by name, but yeah. he, he knew who exactly who you, and I love that. And, and salute to Elliot Wilson for for, for curating Yo. a wonderful, wonderful t- Twitter spaces. So. Shout out to my brother, Elliot Wilson, man. I, uh, uh, my job is to put words together, but I even can't put words together to describe how much I love that dude, man. Shout out to my boy, Elliot. I was a fan of him for a long time. Then I actually got a chance to meet him uh because it's his wife the ever so talented daniel smith whose book is right behind you i can see it right yes, there yes, yes uh she introduced us back in 2016 and it, it it feels like elliot and i have been friends for like 25 30 years and but we you know like that's just a really good dude always down to help so shout out to elliot wilson yeah and he he let me open for for jay and puff you know that's that, amazing that's what i'm gonna that, tell my kids at least <laughs> yeah but that but i think that's a testament to elliot because he does that yeah, like that's yeah. that's what he does. Yeah, and he does that for a lot of people, and mm-hmm. I think um, I'm I'm really glad you said that. But yeah, yeah, man, you opened up for you opened up for Puff and Hove, and, that, and, that, and that's amazing. Now, look in the book, you talk about how the idea came about, yeah. and um, and you you mentioned on the Twitter Spaces as well. But I think it's really important that you kind of explain for the listeners who didn't hear that or who haven't read the book yet how the idea came about because it's quite important that you, know, you were sought out to write this. Yeah, and yeah, it's no, a testament I, to your writing. So talk about that. I, I I love telling this story. And so I'd always wanted to write a book. You know, I started with ESPN around 2015. And, and just over the years, 
you know, I wrote a lot of stories. I was allowed to, you know, not allowed, but I, I carved out a name for myself in this space and sports and culture and pop culture and things of that nature. And around like 2018, 20, top of 2019, I was like, yeah, I got to come up with an idea to write a book. I want to write a book. I don't know how to write a book, but I want to write a book. And so it was just a thought in my head for most of the year. And I was like, eh, when, when the idea hits me, I, I'll, I'll move forward with it. So fast forward to around September 2019, I'm going through my Gmail. You know how it is. Like for the most part, it's like 65% spam. You know, like uh, 20, like 20% off it, like this site that I bought a hat from like seven years ago that I've just never unsubscribed to. I could easily unsubscribe to it, but I'll, I'll just delete the email. And so I'm going through it. And then one email in particular catches my eye and it says Biggie Book or something like that. And I'm like, Biggie Book. I'm like, and I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, man, I'm pretty tapped into a lot of this stuff, especially with like Biggie related stuff. I'm like, I haven't heard of a book coming out. Come to find out, I open it and it's from the, the gentleman who eventually became my editor. It's a guy named Jameson Stoles who works at Ab Ab uh, Abrams Book, excuse me, Abrams Books, Abrams Press in Manhattan, New York. And he was like, um, you come highly recommended from some people that I know and uh, they, they love the work that you produce on the topics that you do. And we're looking to commission uh, somebody to write a book on Biggie Smalls uh, that'll be published in May 22 ahead of what would have been his 50th birthday. And I was like, hmm, I'm sad. I wanted to write a book, but like, this is odd because everything I knew about the book publishing world was, you know, I come to you with an idea and then you decide whether you want to move forward with it or, or not. And I'm like, this is odd. I've never, but anyways, let me follow up on it. So we, we go through negotiations for the next couple of months and we, we eventually sign the paperwork probably like after the holiday season, like mid January, 2020. And I'm, you know, so in the book publishing world, you get a check, you get the first half of the check when you sign it. And then the other half, once you produce the manuscript and they accept it. And so at that point in time, like that was the biggest check, single check that I've ever gotten in my life. And I'm like, man, this is cool. Like, you know, what I mean, I'm 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 actually an author now, knowing I hadn't even written the, written the first word yet. But I'm like, all right, cool. I pay some bills, I book some travel, and so I book all my travel by the end of February 2020. I, I want to go to Brooklyn, obviously for obvious reasons. I want to go to Atlanta, where he had ties, Los Angeles, uh, Chicago, and that's when it hit me. I'm like, shoot, I'm words, but I'm like, shoot. Um, what do I tell people about Biggie Smalls that they don't, because he's such a well-known figure. He's such a, he's a folk hero at this point. Like not just, not, not just in America, but all over the world, you know, like he and Tupac kind of, they, 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 they have no boundaries. And I'm like, damn, well, I've already spent the money from the check. So I can't give him the check back. And I'm like, Hmm, this is kind of like one of those like comedy movies where a drug deal goes bad. And it's like, damn. I don't have the product, nor do I have the money. So I got to figure out how to make this work. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to go to all these places. I'm going to report. I'm going to just do what I do. I told you I booked all that travel at the end of February 2020. I think you know what the timeline looks like in the next couple of weeks for, for the world. So the entire book was reported, researched, and honestly written during quarantine. So this whole book that I wanted to travel all across America for 
was done from my my in-laws basically house that's where my wife and i stayed during um quarantine so yeah and that that's uh i'm sure we'll get into like how i approached the book but yeah yes, that's yes. that's the backstory of how the book came together <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing that yeah. that is that is amazing now congrats honestly genuinely Appreciate congrats it. thank y'all so much and, and chris and chris has entered the building the actual factual has entered the building so um apologies I, I was having tech issues on my end but um it's great to meet you for the first time justin you we've heard i've heard so many good things about you from summit and oh, a lot man, of people that, it's an that's honor. good to know my, my name is it has a good credit score across the pond you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. That's really yeah, good. That's in, yeah, it's important. It's important. It's very important. Your 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 name has weight. There was something that you said there that made me think that your editor was puff and he approached you as Biggie and said, I need you to give this check. I'm taking you up the street. I'm gonna make you go here. I'll make you a star. Damn, I never that's looked at it like that. That's basically what it feels like. <laughs> that's what it felt it like, like to that, me. But you're right. The Harlem dude comes, I got a check for you. Yeah. You wanna do this? And you're like, I I ain't done I, it before. So. Let's roll. Let's roll. <laughs> Let's do it. That that that's amazing. So let's talk about the. I mean, you talk about the research process and thinking about quarantine and you know the fact that you couldn't go all these places. So what what? How did you kind of amend that? How did you augment that to to get to the research process? Because essentially, you couldn't. We couldn't go anywhere. Yeah, so yeah. What, what what did you do? So the the cool thing about it was I had been to all of those places that I had just named like multiple times. I I'd either been there or I lived there. So I had a good feel for what like the culture and feel of the city was like. Obviously, I'm not a native of any of those cities, but I had a good enough feel. And I, you know, I, I had a ton of friends in those cities that, you know, I talked to just for like scene setting type purposes. Like I would talk to some of my friends, like uncles or aunts who especially from Brooklyn, like, yo, tell me what Brooklyn was like in the eighties. Like not, not just the drugs part, but like, what were the summertime cookouts? Like, you know, what were like the basketball games at the park? Like just to give me that feel, just so like, I wanted the reader to be able to like smell uh, and feel and taste what, you know, these, these places felt like. And, and also, you know, I had a, I had a great researcher, especially at the beginning of the process. Uh, my man, Randall Williams, who is now over at a boardroom, Kevin Durant's company. Um, he was like my, I, I don't want to say research assistant, not cause I don't want to, you know, he, 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 he definitely helped me out on, on a lot of things, especially earlier in the process. And, you know, it hit me, like I, I, I presented y'all that question. Like, what the hell do I tell people about Biggie Smalls that they don't already know? And I was really nervous about that. Like the, the first, I would probably say like, you know, end of March, 2020 into April, 2020, like we were all stressed out for obvious reasons, just about like, we had no clue what the hell was about to happen. And we, you know, I figured like, okay, we'll be in the house for like two weeks, maybe a month, and then we'll be back to regular order. The narrator said that was a lie. <laughs> and um, so I, I, and I was stressing out about that. Then I was stressing out about like, what do I write in this book? Like, I really don't know what to do. And, uh, you know, credit, credit to my wife, you know, she'll, she'll see me stress out sometime. She'll see me stress out. Like she'll see, she'll see me be overcome with anxiety. It's something I'm trying to work on, but, and I, she was just like, yo, just relax. Like you got this, like, you don't have to write all 120,000 words at once. Like just approach it, like write 4,000 words, 30 times and on 30 different parts of Big's life or however you want to break it down. I'm like, huh. And then it hit me. It was like, okay, yes, this is going to be a biography of Biggie Smalls. And yes, we'll go from birth to death and talk about his legacy. But I've always been a fan of contextualizing 
moments? Like what else was going on in the world or in Brooklyn or in New York City, you know, while Big was alive, while Big made these decisions. And so I wanted it to be obviously, you know, a straight up biography of Big, but I wanted it to be a socioeconomic and cultural examination of the factors around Big, hence the title of the book, Biggie in the World That Made Him. And I'm not gonna lie to y'all fellas, I didn't know if people would like that at first because I thought people were like, all right, I'm picking up a book on Biggie Smalls. I wanna read about Biggie. But when you're writing about a person, you're never just writing about that person. You have to write about the societal factors, the era that, that you know, you, all of us came up in because all of these factors play a role into the decisions that we make, whether we know it or not. So uh, that I, once I said to myself, I was like, all right, we're, we're gonna go back and forth between Big's life, but also the world around him. And, you know, it takes this, this larger than life folk hero and basically plants him as like, yo, at one point he was just another guy in the neighborhood trying to figure out his way around the world that, oftentimes conspired against people who look like him. So that was that was that reasoning for that. I, I like what you say about the whole social and economic thing, because that's something that we do on this show quite, I think we, we push that button really hard. For us, it's not just about the music. Why does the music sound yeah. this way? How did mm. it come to be? And my wife said something to me last week and it blew my mind. She said, what her, one of her frustrations with like media and you know journalism is that sometimes people rush to the content and ignore the context. And mm. when she said that, I'm like, mm. first of all, that's listen, my wife's serious, you know? Like, when she said that to me, yeah, I was yeah. like, you know what? I'm, I'm running with that. And the way you've done it in this book, I think, it, I think it's done beautifully because, you know, we could talk about Biggie's music all day, all day and yeah. forever in a day, but who was Christopher Wallace? That's the question. Exactly, exactly. And yo, shout out to your wife. Tell her I'm gonna write that down. I, I'm, I'm, you know I me. Mean? I'm a reporter, so I cite my sources. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I ain't no, gonna she, never take it she off. said that. Exactly. She, she, listen. You know when someone tells you something, you just have to sit with it for a while. Yeah, I had yeah, to sit down. I had yeah. to sit down. You said that, and I like you can't see it on my arm right now, but that that just gave me like goosebumps. <laughs> I was like, it is, like it's so true, and it's not just the case with like Biggie or or hip hop. This, especially America, I'll say this. It's the reason why we're kind of in a lot of situations that we are right now. People will rush to a conclusion about something without understanding the 8,000 factors that actually produce the result that you see. And so, you know, we talk a lot. I mean, I don't want to uh, take the conversation uh, away from from the book or, or what y'all wanted to talk about. Like, we see it in America all the time right now. We, we're dealing with, like, massive, like, you know, gun violence and like domestic terrorism. And it's just not like, it's just not, you know, people want to go get a gun and they're mad. It's like, no, there's so many factors that go into this, but we don't like people, the, the positions of power only see it from one direction. And if I can relate that to the book, it's like when we get to the part where we talk about um, ready to die coming up. A lot of people know Ready to Die came out on September 13th, 1994, but it blew my mind when I found this out that literally on the same day, the 1994 crime bill was passed. And that was passed by the Clinton administration. And of course, uh, you know, Joe Biden had a lot to do with that. And it's not just, you know, that bill had the term super predators that, that basically became larger than the bill itself, but like why the bill was passed. 
And in the book, I talk about how, you know, in the previous election, Republicans ran on the, the grounds of like, you don't want Democrats in office because they're lax on crime. And if they're lax on crime, like your neighborhoods are gonna get overrun by hoodlums and thugs and X, Y, and Z. So by the time the Democrats got the White House back and you know both houses of Congress back, they were like, we gotta show that we're tough on crime. And you know a lot of that rush to judgment, a lot of that, like, okay, we gotta show the other, the other side of the aisle that you know we're not punks either. It, infect, it, it, it infected and impacted so many communities, a lot of which, you know, one of which Biggie came from. So when you listen to Ready to Die under that context and with that content, as your wife just said, like that album sounds completely different. Like when you listen to a song like Things Done Change, like, like that, that album, that song sounds like the rebuttal to what that piece of legislation is. And I know Biggie didn't do that. Um, with that intention because i don't think he knew that bill was going to be signed on the same day as the album came out but some things man you just can't plan and, and they happen for a reason facts 100 percent, 100 percent. real talk yeah and things done change was produced by a guy called darnell scott and i've never heard from him man, since he, that's always been a yeah. question in my mind like who was yeah, that guy? I, I wonder did he like changes like producer name or anything i, I don't know but yeah yeah but he, I've been on I've been on Discogs, yeah. can't find him. If, if that's his only song, he produced the classic with it. Like if, if you're gonna go <laughs> come on. If you're gonna be a one-hit wonder, that's one that's yeah. one way to be. Yeah, he he did, he did. I'm sorry, have you got any I think you got a blog? Oh yeah. You meant you mentioned Biggie being like this folk hero. Like I've got multiple Biggie Smalls t-shirts. <laughs> My name is Christopher. Like all over the world, people know Biggie. My mom, 67-year-old yeah. church evangelist, yeah. knows who Biggie Smalls is. Yeah. And it's crazy because I, I, when I saw the book, I was like, what else can I learn about Biggie at this point? Like, I, I what learned, did you learn? It's, it's, just one or two of the things that you learned like you said, as a fan that you didn't know before that talk you was about kind of music, like, you know, oh, snap, that's amazing. Lives. Like, that, that's going to be there. But I learned, I, I had a lot of fun and I was really moved by learning about who he was as a kid, because there, there's so much of the book focuses on, I think you got to go like maybe 190, 200, 210 pages before you get the ready to die. You know, like that's more than half the book. And, and I did that with the purpose because uh, once you, once we get to the music, it basically, the story basically tells itself from there. But I knew that, you know, yeah, people knew he was born in Brooklyn you know, single mom, you know, got a little bit older, sold some drugs, you know, found out he loved making music. So like, I understood those high points were there, but I wanted to fill in the gaps. Like, you know, why did Valletta come to America? And, you know, how was she blinded by this, this image of America being landed a free home or a brave land of milk and honey. And then soon as her plane landed, she was like, ah, damn. This is not like the brochures that I was looking at back in Jamaica. And like, what, what were her experiences like even before her son got here? So it was like painting that picture that that was fun. And then obviously after he's born and, you know, speaking to his childhood friends and like, you know, what was this guy like at sleepovers as a kid? Like what, you know, who is he? And just learning how funny, he, like naturally funny he was. And like how people just, he disengaged people the moment you know, people started meeting him. Like, I, I love just talking to people who grew up in Brooklyn. It was like, yo, I, yeah, I remember Fat Chris. 
Yeah, he was like, he was a good guy. Like, you know, like he had all the video games at his house. But you know what? You don't want to mess with his mom because his mom, she'll put you in your place. And like, oh, we would go over Biggie's house and his mom would cook, you know, jerk chicken and mac and cheese. And she would have like a spread laid out on Thanksgiving. But it's like a random Wednesday in September. You know what I mean? Like, who was this guy? And like, you know, how talented was he, you know, you know, from a very early age, like when did he really get involved in music? Like, I didn't know Biggie Smalls. Like, you know, one of the, one of my favorite quotes from the entire book is from Hubert Sam when he was when he said like Big would come like the elementary school and basically be like, I can't go to sleep without my country music. And it's like, wait, what? You know, you you don't expect you know things done change, suicidal thoughts. You know, me and my bitch type Biggie Smalls to be the kid like I can't go to sleep without my uh, you know, country music. And then you understand where that backstory came from. So I, I I always felt like if I could really contextualize and paint that picture, it would make the rest of his life come so much more into focus because you understood the story that happened before, you know, he became the household name. And so that's what I learned. I learned so much about young Christopher Wallace. I, I'm not even talking about Christopher Wallace that was like, yo, I'm on Fulton Street selling crack and you know things like that um another thing i learned too i i obviously i talk about the drug dealing part but i wanted to humanize that experience as much as possible because uh when people think about like the crack era and you know biggie taking trips out of town like yeah he sold drugs but it wasn't like this dude was selling drugs 24 7 like, like you're not like on the corner from 12 12 p.m to the next 12 p.m it's like there's a lot of downtime and you get a chance to know people while while doing that. So I had a, I, one of my favorite interviews with Greg Dent, who was a party promoter down in Raleigh, North Carolina. They got a chance to know Big outside of the drug dealing. He was just, you know, the 18, 19 year old who a lot of people at the club be like, yo, I'm Chubb Rock's cousin. Like, let me get on the mic. And, you know, like the dude would, that would cry when they couldn't go out to eat, you know? So it, I love learning about that Christopher Wallace. Biggie. Yeah, I learned a lot of things about Biggie too, but like there's so much like heartwarming stuff about Christopher Wallace that I don't think was really out there before this book. At least I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I love hearing those stories. And before I hand over to Summit, I just want to, you know, salute the country of Jamaica for <laughs> oh, absolutely. producing the, the the greatest MC. Like, what can I I mean, this is what my country does, isn't it? We're just we just and, and I'm glad you said that too, because uh, uh, an important part of the book is talking about the, the Caribbean uh migration to America and why that happened and how that and how that Come basically on. spawned the birth of hip hop. You know, like you, you can't talk about hip hop without talking about the, the Caribbean migration to America in the sixties and seventies and early eighties and how that basically changed how New York looked, New York City looked. And how that scared so many people to take resources out of New York City, which led to, you know, the financial crisis of the 70s, which then led to the crack ep epidemic of the 80s. And so, like, all of these things are, like, tied <clears throat> together, man. Like, it, we, we, none of this stuff happens in a vacuum. So, but yeah, shout out to Jamaica, for mm. real. Yeah. Come I'm just gonna now. say shout out to India just for the sake. Shout of out to India. Like I'm, <laughs> like I'm obliged to at this point, right? No, um, I listen. There's, there's, there's things, uh, you know. One of, one of the, one of the books that I've read, uh, which I've got behind me uh, that I read recently was was Dilla Time, Oof. and there was a lot in there that I didn't know yeah. about Dilla that I and I loved. And even with Biggie, you know, you hear the stories like Chris. You know, 
you know, you know everything. But there was things I didn't know, which I love. I always like to learn things. Like I didn't know um, uh, Voletta's connection to London. Her aunt was here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. The only connection I know between Biggie and London is, all right, he, he performed... It's no, me. no, no, it's no. Me. He, it's performed me. It, or he performed there. He performed there with a with a, a dubious um, long time DJ at his party. Mm-hmm. Um, but but obviously the day the day after well the day after he passed away was murdered. He was supposed to come to London. Yep. His first item of business was going to be a photo shoot with my friend Paul H. Wow. Which was mad because he was here for a press tour. Yeah. Right. Like he was just heading. He was just and and I remember Paul H. Saying, Yo, my first that day. My first appointment was with Biggie Small. I was like, "Oh man, wow, that's, that's that mad, is crazy!" But I didn't know that you know Biggie had an uh, I, I, is it Biggie's aunt or, or Valletta's aunt was here in London, yeah. and I didn't know that, right? Yeah, I, I didn't. I, yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't know about um, MCC West. I didn't know that name. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know Puffy missed out on what we you know, you know, po- poetical poet, uh, poetical prophets yeah, who let Bobby. it to be mobbed. I didn't know that. I didn't know yeah. Matt. went, yo, what are you doing? I, I like, and the Chub Rock story too. And, and even with um, Chico, the story about uh, Madonna turning yeah. up at, at, at the crib with two, like that, that sort of stuff is brilliant because at that point when you're reading it, you're already ingrained into this world where you've talked about the social economical issues. You've talked about Reaganomics. Yeah. You even talk about Nixon coming in, in, I think it's coming to America, the chapter there. So yep. you've painted this, it's like a world you've been put into where you can see these things vividly. And that's, uh, that's a real testament to you. But this is that. my kind of book. This is, no, no, that, yeah. look, that, that's the type of book reviews I like to hear and read right there. So thank this, thanks you. Know, you, got, you, got Sopr- you got Soprano references. You got The Wire references. Yep. Like, I'm, this is my kind of book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's almost like it's almost like when you know someone makes a beat and they sample different sources yeah. and they make yeah. one whole thing. You've taken samples from all these different things. It's like yeah. a You easy mobied this whole thing, bro. That's what you did. That's what you did. What you did is you went, my man 50 grand. I'm going to start this. And then you easy Moby the whole thing with it. I'm telling yep. you, I could do this for days. Anyway, um, I'll, my, <laughs> my next question is a kind of two prongs. So let's okay. start with the blog era. Yeah. Right. Ooh. And then we'll go into kind of peers and, and, and support you got from there and sure. that include people from that blog era. So yep. uh, I guess I'm always interested in the blog era. It's one of my favorite areas because I came through it and probably the only thing I remember in my life. Right. I yep. told you I am a failed homo sapien. But um, how did, I guess, how did the blog era and what you learned from that kind of prepare you for this kind of momentous book at this point? Man, where does one begin? Uh, I'll say this. The blog era is the reason that I'm here doing, you know, anything in media. You know, like my, my, my mom and my parents, they're the reason that I'm here. But the reason, you know, that I'm, uh, doing anything media related obviously got a chance to do this book is because of the blog era and I, I think so I graduated college in uh 2008 and if anybody remembers what state of the world looked like at that point again to contextualize things that was like neck deep in the recession in America like I couldn't find a job I couldn't do this I moved to Chicago for a job that got cut before I even started it um so I'm like man what do I do and back in college, I was the guy that always had the new music, mixtapes, albums, whatever. Like, thank thank God the Statue of Limitations has gone off downloading music because I could have been serving like triple life for all the music that I downloaded. <laughs> um, but, you know, once we graduated, people dispersed around different parts of the country. And so I created a site where I would just post all my music, but I would always give like write-ups for each thing that I posted, like maybe like 
five, six sentences, nothing long or anything like that. Maybe a hundred, 150 words at the most. One day, one of my homeboys calls me and he's like, yo, Tins, I, you know, thanks for the website. And I love what you're doing. I go to it every day, but I think you should post less music, but write more because I like what you have to say about things. And I want to read more like the music. I'll go get it from wherever, but I want to know your perspective on things. And I, I didn't really see the value of it at first, but as he reminded me, he was like, it ain't like you got a job. You got plenty of time. You know, so I did that and I started doing it more and more, man. And I was like, yo, this is kind of fun. Like, I like doing this. Like, I like people leaving comments, you know, whether it be my friends or whether it be people I didn't know. I'm like, yo, this is kind of cool. And, you know, one thing led to another, maybe about a year, year and a half later, uh, I used to visit the smoking section all the time. And the smoking section was my, that, that was my Rolling Stone, New York Times, LA Times. That was my website of record i was like man i love what they got going on here um i just love the different writers and the different voices they have and one day they had a call they had a call for new writers and i'm like man this is my chance and ev eventually my man john Gotti brought me in and that I, I didn't realize it then but that was like the start of one of the most important friendships of my entire life like we and and soon after i met uh my brother david dennis um, who, who's an incredible writer and like Gotti, David and I, we talk, we talk every day, multiple times a day, just to update each other on life, just to update each other on whatever the hell we feel like talking about. And I remember one thing Gotti told me was, I don't care what you write, just be consistent and make it dope. And I just started writing about everything, man, music and sports and pop culture and sometimes a little bit of politics when I when I felt like moved by a certain thing and it's just I love seeing my name on the site with the the Gotti's of the world the David Dennis's of the world you know what I mean Greg Witt incredible writer uh my man Bansky Gonzalez on that just incredible people man just an incredible collection of talent and I just started doing it every day like seven days a week like, like that's what brought me happiness and this is during the blog era. Like this is during like the not right, the two dope boys. It's the real uh, Karen Civil, who I, who I wrote for as well, who helped me out tremendously in my career. And it got to a point where I'm at my school's homecoming in like the fall of 2014. And I'm at like an alumni day party and it's an open bar. And one of my older frat brothers comes up to me. He's like, Justin, I'm a big fan of your work. Uh, the smoking section, uh, the sports fan journal where I was writing. Uh, I was writing a lot of my sports stories. Shout out to my man, Eddie, and my uh, my brothers, Ed and Kenny, um, and Mark Tribble, the Rev. I'm just, I'm just name dropping people at this point. Yeah. But they all helped me so much throughout my, you know, throughout my life and my career that uh, my older frat brother, when I was at homecoming, was like, yo, I love all the work that you've been doing online. Do you mind if I introduce you to somebody at ESPN? And he introduced me to somebody at ESPN. And literally like a month and a half later, I had a, one way flight from Richmond, Virginia to Los Angeles to start with ESPN. And I don't get there without the blogger. I don't get there because they allow me to just, you know, hone my skills, like, like uh, sharpen my knives, whatever, whatever the, you know, the proper phrase is like, I'm not here without the blogger. I am a direct product of the blogger. I wasn't somebody who just sat on the sidelines and watched. I was 
eye, eyeball deep in the weeds. You know what I mean? And that 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 era is so impactful and it's so beautiful to see so many people that I consider peers and I never considered them competitors. I don't think any of us considered each other competitors. At least I didn't feel that way. Um, and it's just so beautiful. Like the cool thing about Elliot Wilson, man, like he, that, that dude, he's got like LeBron, Kareem, Abdul Jabbar longevity, man. He was there during the, 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 the magazine era of the nineties. He, he, he ran the, the blog era with rap radar and now he's doing this, you know, just digital with title and the rap radar podcast. So it's just so beautiful to see so many people from that era, just finding you know, full-time professions and just doing what they love and just being leaders like I always knew they were. Facts. Listen, I mean, shout out to Gotti. He's real. He's a real G. Like oh, man. 100% real G. That, that like, dude is... He's, he's like the RZA of the blog era. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm going to try. He's like the RZA. Yeah. But the smoking section, generally speaking, was about all about quality. So if you were able to get on it as a writer or just to be featured on it, that, that took a lot. Yeah. Like you were, it wasn't just, they're just going to source you and cite you that you had to do something yeah. for Gotti and the team to go. Yes, actually, you know what? We're going to, we're going to feature this. And I respect that because that's curation and they, and they had, you know, they had strict quality control, like editorial control to go, yeah. this is what we're going to pop. So I respect that. For sure, um, man, for sure. Like we, no, no, that, that, that's, that's amazing. I'm glad like a lot of us and a lot of the people who were more successful than I was in the blog era, have been able to, and that's one, honestly, it's wonderful to see because at one point we were all going to get done with, you know, you know, with the law, basically, we're, yeah. you know, pirating illegal material and all yeah. that, but it's so great to see everyone kind of come through and, and, and really flourish. Um, also, Thorough is back as well with, uh, with Elliot Watson, which is, which is good to see. Yeah. But Elliot, the thing about Elliot, I always say Elliot's like Snoop. He's a superhero. Snoop Dogg is a superhero. Yeah. Like he can do nothing. He could do anything he wants and it will change. And, 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 and he could work. he could evolve over through different areas. So I always say to I always say Elliot's like Snoop. He just it's he Elliot could do anything. It's gonna work because it's Elliot. It's a Snoop. Snoop could go Martha Stewart, Snoop Lion, and it will still work yeah. for him because it's Snoop. Yes, yeah, Snoop Snoop became Rasta. We yeah. said, okay, like, cool. All right. <laughs> like Snoop like narrates shows on like Nat Geo. And it's like the most entertaining yeah. thing in the world. Like this guy went from being on the cover of Newsweek. Basically, America's most wanted to, like you said, hosting the show with Martha Stewart, and she's the one that's the convicted felon. <laughs> right, 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 right. Exactly, exactly. And, <laughs> and that's 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 how liking liking um, Elliot because he's just a superhero. Yeah. He will he will know he'll understand. Because Snoop is not Snoop is super clever. Like he was able to navigate through all of that, mm -hmm. through all the beefs. Yeah. You know, Elliot had his beefs too. He never gets through all of that to get to a point where he's flourishing now and it's good to see. Now, the next bit is about support because you mentioned it in in your acknowledgements. Yeah. You obviously mentioned Gotti. You've met, we mentioned Rob Kenner earlier, Danielle Smith, yep. Elliot. In, re in respect to the book and the support you got from those people, I think it's important to highlight because you're very, you know, you seem like someone who's very open to to praise others. And I think I was yeah. going to give you this kind of platform to do that. So in terms of the book, kind of the support you got, um, in terms of, you know, this is your first time doing it and, and those people in particular, how did they help you? I mean, it was just always there. Uh, like Danielle was working on her book um, before I started working on this. A couple, it, uh, yeah, a couple of months before I started working on mine. And uh, I would always text her or call her with questions like, damn, like, how do I handle this situation? So like it, it, Danielle was a big um, help. Gotti and David, so the thing about David and I was we were we were writing our books at the same time. They came out on the same day. So like 
everything that he was going through, he would be like, yo, have you thought about doing this? I had a meeting and we talked about this and I would do that for him as well. So it's like, it, like Gotti and David, like they, we, we spoke and Gotti was just, he was just like, yo, whatever y'all need for me, let's figure it out. Let's put together a plan. Like we, we tell him this all the time and I don't know if he actually believes it, but it's, it's very true that like the, the, these books and mine in particular, and since we're talking about it right now, as much his they are ours because he put us in a position uh you know put a battery in our back years ago to just believe in ourselves they're like yo we are just as good as anybody else so like god and david were huge helps like and i'm i mentioned like so many people in there and just like uh, college friends who would always you know if i if sometimes you just need a laugh you, sometimes you just need a distraction it's just like i would go to a group chat and all my friends are talking about something funny that one of my friends did and we would just i would laugh about that for like 20 minutes and i'm like oh thank god like i just needed that reprieve and you know what i mean i didn't need them to help me write the book but i needed them to help me save myself and you know all of those people you know I, if i start naming them all right now i forget some and i don't want anybody to no fair, bad, fair. but uh yeah. obviously my wife was uh a, a, a irreplaceable lifeline who would talk me off the ledge whenever I would get in my feelings or get in my head, which I'm trying to work on, but that that's a, that's a lifelong mission right there. So I, I, I she, she was the first person I thank for a reason in the acknowledgements. And, you know, I also acknowledged uh, some people I didn't get to speak to personally, you know what I mean? Uh, like the Valletta Wallaces, the Lil' Kims, you know what I mean? D-Rocks of the world, obviously, there's been so much archival material on them that I could just place it in the book. But, you know, I wanted, I wanted them to know that like, because they knew uh, I reached out to the estate uh, at the early stages of writing this book. And I just sent a letter and um, I, I'm assuming they got it, but, you know, I just let them know that a book was coming and uh, that this wasn't some like salacious hit piece or I'm trying to find or uncover like some, um, unflattering parts about you know big's life and i want to do this like no this is more so this is a celebration of of him but i'm also going to be honest in there i'm also going to talk about you know some of the mistakes that he made in his life because you know he was 24 when he died like nobody has life figured out at 24 like i'm 36 like I, i'm still learning like oh man i forgot to get a dog his medicine last night and you know i'm like damn like golly you got to get it together like you had one job but you know so i wanted them to know that like yo this was only done out of love and respect not just for for christopher wallace but also the craft of journalism as well like i want people when they think about biggie like you know it's already been 25 years since we lost them but like in the next 25 years i want this book to be um a dope addition to his legacy it, it's so it's so massive and i just wanted them to know that like yeah this book was not done with any ill intention and um the fact that like i haven't heard you know anything directly from the estate just lets me know that like all right well it's there and you know and the fact that like so many people with respect like you know, the Elliot Wilsons, like Chael Hadari Coker, who wrote Unbelievable, the original Biggie biography, like, and talk about giving people their flowers. Like, when I first did this pro project, when I first signed on to do it, I was nervous to tell Chael because we already had 
a great relationship just from previous projects. And I always had, you know, the world of respect for him. And when I called him and told him, I think he was more excited than I was. And he was like, yo, that's dope. Like there needs to be another big biography. One that really doesn't, it's not a who done it, you know, you know what I mean? Like who, who killed Biggie Smalls? Like, of course you get to that in the book. He said, but no, there needs to be like, um, a totally encapsulating, you know, you know, book about him and, you know, just his life and times. And he was like, I can't think of anybody better from your generation to do it than you. And so when he said that to me, like I needed, I, you know, I don't, I don't call people looking for validation, but I needed it at that time more than I realized. So, I mean, there's so many people that I gotta, I, I, I try to thank and, and I try to acknowledge because you don't just do a book by yourself especially a book on somebody as notable as the notorious B.I.G. So uh, there's a reason why my acknowledgments were the length that they were, they were basically their own chapter. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm just, no, I'm just thinking, um, yes, yeah, I'm thinking about the legacy of Big and reading. So I haven't read mm -hmm. the whole book, but it took me back to where I was at the time when I got that news, there was a space in time, 94 to ready to die for the longest time was my favorite yeah. hip hop album. Like I can do it from, I can do that whole album top to bottom muscle memory. Yep. No problem. Yep. Skits as well. No problem. <laughs> do you really um, want to do one of the skits though? Yeah. Do you really want to do one of the skits? Yeah, we don't, no, no. You see on, on my iPod version, I've taken <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, 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 see, I, see. Skit is, uh, yeah. I don't, it's, it's colorful. Yeah, we don't, we didn't need it. We Does your muscle yeah, memory come with sound effect? Is that what you're saying here now? All of that, bro. All of that, bro. But what I there's an excerpt from your book I, I want to read, and it, it's when you said, um, "With the blessing of growing older, hopefully comes wisdom and perspective." And it wasn't until I turned 24, like Big, and 25, like Pac, that I realized just how young they had been and the reality of just how much they accomplished in such a small window, and how much responsibility sat on their shoulders. Really hit me. This is something that I've been really dwelling on. You know, I look at Easy E dying at yep. 31. And I often say, what would Easy E, I'm, I'm using him as an example, what would Easy E the grandfather mm. be? What would, you know, Easy E in this world of, you know, video games and branding and all this kind of opportunity, I think he would have been a madman yeah. in a good way. What do you think Biggie as a 50 year old would have been like as, as a person and as an artist and as a mogul? Yeah, you know, I think about that uh, a lot. Um, because when people think about Biggie, they more they they mostly think about the music, which you know, fair enough. I mean, that's very fair. But w once you start to peel back the layers, I mean, the dude was a hustler for a reason. You know, he 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 saw a vision for what he wanted to do in life. Like he he was working on opening a restaurant. He wanted to start his own clothing line. He wanted to get more into the managerial and executive side of of the music industry, which was ironic because. Big wanted to do more work behind the scenes, whereas Puffy was becoming the artist. So it's kind of like their roles were like kind of switching in, in a sense. Um, but I think if, man, if Big hadn't attended the party at the Peterson that night and actually flew to London for or to, to do the Life After Death promo run and he survives, it's really fascinating to think about what he could have been. I, I, I think, um, I guess the easiest way to answer this is kind of like a similar trajectory of what we've seen Jay-Z do, like how, how he's like made himself such a notable figure so far outside the booth that like you associate him with 
business and for you know and philanthropy in a sense uh equally with music i mean and there, there there's a generation of young music fans right now that know jay-z as you know the businessman and beyonce's husband you know like they they there's a generation of hip-hop fans that weren't even around when american gangster came out you know forget reasonable doubt and wow. the blueprint you know you know wow. so like he's talking facts yeah so i i think big would have I think Big would have done the same thing. Like it would have been great to see Biggie sitting courtside at like basketball games and like you know a young LeBron coming to dap him up. And it would have been great to see. I mean, it now with the gift of life, you're always going to make mistakes and you're going to make business decisions that you know rub people the wrong way, similar to how Jay Z did with the NFL and Colin Kaepernick. And but you know, like that's just. It's, it, it's great to see Jay-Z do what he does, even if I don't agree with literally everything that he does, because that means he's still here. You know, I still get to enjoy Jay-Z, you know, as a, as a man, uh, as from what I get to see of him as a father and a husband and, you know, him, it's still great to hear. I still get excited to hear, oh shit. So like Jay-Z has a new verse coming. Like, so I think if Biggie was 50, like a, a, a Biggie Smalls verse in 2022 would be worth his weight in gold because Big loved rhyming alongside everybody. Like he 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 sounded just as home rapping with Method Man on the what as he did with Bone Thugs on Notorious Thugs. So it would have been great to hear Biggie on like early 2000s Neptune's production or Just Blaze. That was going to be my yeah. next question. Yeah. yeah, we lost a Dude, lot with the, the music the, oh, man. What could have been? My, what could my have boy been? Vaughn and I, we talk about this all the time. And I talked about this because <sighs> uh, he, he has a Neptunes like theme podcast and it's super dope. And he just wanted to talk to me ahead of the book coming out. And, you know, because I know you just said it, um, that was like your next question. Like we all we, we go through like, man, what would Big have sounded like on like, I just want to love you with, with, with Jay? Like, I mean, that was already a big enough song. And obviously he pays homage to big on the song with his opening bars, but like, it would have been great to mess around and hear like Biggie on like freeways, what we do. Like, you know, like it, it, it's so in a parallel universe, he does all of this and, you know, big continues to rap well into his thirties and maybe even his forties. Um, but you know, you get a chance to see Biggie, the grandfather, like you said, you get a chance to see Biggie. It would have been interesting to see how Biggie approached a lot of these conversations we have around like social justice now because he came from an era where he had multiple run-ins with the cops and uh how you know prison reform and and things of that nature so it's just we just don't know but it's 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 so beautiful to play the what if game but it's also like very painful to play it yeah you're talking justin and i feel yeah. sad now that it's like I just, we, like i was thinking like we were, <sighs> this, this is what the this I, is the reason why I don't partake in these kind of conversations. I try not to. Yeah, I do because it all the time. It, I'm a glutton. It, I mean, it, it's human nature. I yeah. think we all that what if and uh, because our imagination can run wild with it, and we can we can make realistic comparisons as to what someone would do. But the my, my the only reason why I'm always hesitant is because of the uh, yeah. It's it, the end of uh, yeah. You always have, sigh like, at the end. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. You know I. I I listen to niggas bleed and I'm convinced Biggie would have gone into books and I can't say that word. I can't say that word. You have to, you have to, you have to. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It's fine. In it. Um, 
Yeah, you yeah. listen to that. Yeah, niggas bleed, and the, the the plot twist at the end. I'm like, he would have like he could have been writing TV yeah. series and all of that. I really believe he he had the skill set to do that. I know he was interested that. in it. I I talked to people like you know Mr. C and Chico like, and they told me like he was very interested in 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 acting in Hollywood, whether it be in front of the camera, whether it be behind the camera. And like you said, like you you take niggas bleed or you take I got a story to tell. Like he could do so many types of stories, whether it's like dramatic or like I mean I could have easily seen. Biggie being like a, a a writer on an episode of The Wire, like I I, I could easily or him being a character on The Wire, you, you know what I mean? Like a, a New York connect, like coming like so I could have seen. It. I mean, he was such a beautiful storyteller and such a such a vivid painter that like he he would have got he would have immersed himself more into that world and and, and it might and it might have been a chance where he just d- decided like yo i want to keep doing this more even more than the music so i could same way i think Pac would have you know like they, they were so electric and in different ways on camera so because obviously you know big had he was on the episode of martin he was on the episode of uh new york undercover and granted he was playing himself in both of those roles but you could tell that, like, with a little more training, with a little more like roles under his belt, he could, he could have, he could have, you know, he could have transitioned in, in into Hollywood in a very seamless way. Yeah. Oh man, I'm gonna have to be listening to some Biggie at the gym. Yeah, man. Look, I, I've been obviously I've been listening to Big a lot lately. So. <laughs> yeah. How how did you find it? Like, do you feel okay? You know, we did a we did a, a reasonable doubt and a blueprint yeah. series. Uh, we did a podcast series, and after we did those series, I'm like, I can't listen to these albums yeah. for a bit. Are you going? For, are you going for any biggie withdrawals? Um, yeah, I told myself. Well, see, I, I still listen to it a lot now because I'm still doing like you know the press run for it. But I I think like right. once things slow down a little bit, I am gonna have to be like, all right, let me um detox a, a little bit from from yeah. from big. Not because I'm tired of hearing the music, but it's just it's like you hear his voice so much and it's just like, damn, man, it really feels like he's still here. And I, I think that's the, the the biggest compliment I can give his music. You know what I mean? Cause it, it feels so timeless. Like if life after death came out right now, it'd be the best album of 2022. Oh yeah. yeah. With, with, oh, yeah. Without, without question. Like you put, you, yeah, you put life standard. after death in any year, it's going, it's going to be, any year since 1997 and it's 2022. So any year within the last quarter century, it's either going to be the album of the year or it's going to be in contention, like top two or three. Yeah, it shines yeah. bright in any year. That's just a testament yeah. of, uh, to him, to like Puff's vision, to just, I mean, you you know, I, I tell people, and you read the excerpt from, from the book, I feel confident in saying like, there's never been an artist, not just in rap, but in music period. There's never been an artist who accomplished so much in such a short amount of time than Biggie Smalls. And what he accomplished has lived for so long, even after his physical love. Like we're still talking about Biggie just as much in 2022, in 2021, in 2020, as we were in 95, 96, 97. You know, and that's just yeah. His catalog may be small, but like I can't think of a more impactful catalog with the amount of time it had to like grow. I mean, you think about it; he only got to hear "Ready to Die." Obviously, 
You know what, yeah? When you say it like that, Justin, it's, it, I just yeah. felt chills like, bruv. He only heard one of his albums in his lifetime. You know yeah. what I mean? In full, in full, yeah. In full. Like, in full. obviously, only one of them in full. Life had the death, so he knew that, yeah, yeah. but he never got a chance to see what, like, like, he never got a chance to see what. He never. He only heard hypnotized. I was going to say, he never got to see our, he never got to see our reactions yeah. to kicking the door. Like, it's like Bruce Lee in uh, Into the Dragon. Yeah. Yeah, he never got to. You know, he, you know, he made this masterpiece that helped him cross over. That had some, you know, cultural implications, mm-hmm. had political implications, and he never got to see it, you know, mm. and see the impact he had. And and it's, it's it's you know you you look you're when you think of Biggie, you think of people like that. You Bruce Lee. That these are people who have lived long in the memory. Who whose um, I guess legacy lived so long because of what they were able to achieve because of their cultural impact. Yeah. And that's the thing here is there's a cultural impact that he's made. Yeah. Um, not just, just, not just his music, but just who he was and what he represented. Yeah. He represented one of the, you know, the, the, those boroughs that, you know, let's, let's keep it real. I'm not from, I'm not from New York, so I might get smashed for saying this, but Brooklyn is one of those um, boroughs where they're very proud Hell of yeah. where they're from. Hell yeah. The it's, planet, it's, bro. It's, the it's planet. like South London in in in, in London, right? Yeah. South you people can't tell can't wait to tell you they're from South London. Yeah. It's like people from Brooklyn people can't from Brooklyn wait to tell you from Brooklyn. Way. And it's like the same and that and just how he were, managed to put that on his back, take yeah. that way he ever he took it and what it meant for the culture. And I think that that's a testament to, to who he is and, and what he did. He he had yeah. a he had a big job. Uh, I mean, if we're talking about hip hop at the time, where it was obviously West Coast leaning at the time, mm. and obviously Tupac, Death Row were running, and he was just there, just doing his thing, minding his own, minding his own business, making great records, mm-hmm. and he just ascended. And yeah. you know, he's the king, and he'll I mean, always it, will. It, 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 yeah. Oh, go ahead. And, no, I, you, you know, I, I talk about it in the book uh, a little bit too, and um, it's amazing. You know, he was a first generation American. Obviously, you know, his mother moved to America. And so he was born in Brooklyn. So he's first generation American. And everything he learned about Brooklyn was through his own life experiences. But it's so wild that you you compare it to South London, like p- people from London, South London can't wait to say where they're from. It, like you said, it's the exact same in Brooklyn. And he became like this living, breathing embodiment of like what Brooklyn looked like to the world. Like he is like, I know for me, I'm not from New York. I'm not from Brooklyn. So growing up, when I heard New York City, when I heard Brooklyn, the first thing that came to mind was Biggie Smalls. Like he he is Brooklyn to me. Like when I think like it, he already has so many murals out there. Like he, you know how athletes get statues outside of arenas? Like Biggie Smalls needs a statue somewhere in Brooklyn. And I guarantee you, even with all the gentrification that's going on right now, um, but like nobody would ever touch that. Like regardless of what Brooklyn may look like 10, 15 years from now, like they can never take away from the fact that like, yo, this dude is from this borough and he represents this borough in the most authentic, genuine and beloved way possible, man. Like he he, he is Brooklyn and obviously Jay-Z too, they run neck and neck. But like just the fact that like he still represents that 25 years after his death is is phenomenal. I want I want to chime in there slightly and and Chris if you've got any other questions let me know otherwise I've got, no, I've got I, one I, more I'm, I'm, I'm good but I want to chime about Hove because I am the resident Hove stan yeah right I'm a Hove stan this is documented well documented well I, I am deserved. a scholar he, he, he's the goat I, I, I am the scholar but I will say this about Brooklyn and Hove 
when I think of Hove, I think of Marcy. Yeah. When I think of Biggie, I think of Brooklyn. Yeah, that's fair enough. And I think, and I think, and I think that's that's just like because you know Jay was very big to big up Marcy projects. We know he's from Brooklyn, but it's like he's from Marcy Brooklyn, yeah. whereas Biggie's from Brooklyn Bed Stuy. Yeah. Like it's it's very you know when we talk about it, we talk about it in those kind of terms, and that's why I love Biggie because he did that, and everyone's made their Brooklyn anthem. Yeah. Yeah. Brooklyn go hard. Great verse. That second verse is amazing from home. Yep. Don't get me like it's brilliant, but. It's really Brooklyn's finest that that kind of anthem for both and that both Jay and him are on, right? Yeah. And many have tried, but the greatest tribute to Brooklyn is Biggie Smalls. Yeah. He is the guy who, like you said, embodies that. Yeah. Jay does, but I always think of Marcy. You think of the videos. It's always Marcy. Like, it's it's Marcy. Mar- He's Marcy Project's Jay-Z. Yeah. As mm. opposed to Brooklyn Jay-Z, I, so. I got one point I also want to add before you do your last question. I've had discussions with people, Justin and Summit. They talk about Biggie's catalogue. How sh- yeah. how small it was, and it's short. I would like to argue that Hardcore by Little Kim is part of his catalog mm-hmm. too, because he was integral yep. in that. And also Junior Mafia Conspiracy. You can't talk about Biggie's music and not mention Get Money or Players Anthem. Yeah, no. I refuse. And that's you know, I, I, I would say that the only thing I would say about the Kim thing is I think Kim wrote some of her stuff too. So I think there's a bit where he helped. We don't know to the extent. We'll yes. wait for Kathy Eye and no, Dolly's book for that, innit? The home. No, it's his, it's, his, it's, his, it's his album, bro. But, it's his album. I'm a stand. I'm a stand. It's his album, bro. The only thing I would say about those people that have that kind of. Um, sorry, Justin, just to, yeah. to veer off here. But to, for people who talk about like things like that, I liken it to football. And they say, well, you know, they've only won one title. It's like, well, Ronaldo, you know, the Brazilian Ronaldo is one of the greatest ever strikers to ever grace Absolutely. football pitch ever. Absolutely. But he, he never won the Champions League. He won the World Cup, but never won the Champions League. Does that mean domestically he's a failure? No, it doesn't. No. So, like, I think I think mm. what it is is people try to find whatever, like, an argument to... to it's, it's like, you know, oh, Biggie's yeah. got a small small catalogue, but what was the impact? The, in the, the impact in, of the catalogue, yeah. The impact of the catalogue at the time which, you know, the greatest icons... The greatest icons yeah, of our culture, the, field, the playing field, LL, mm-hmm. Tupac, yep. Hove, yep, like, they were all yep. there. Who comes out on top? Biggie Smalls. Yep, like Razor Ramon yeah. never won a world title. I'm sorry, Justin. I'm a big, I'm a big wrestling fan. I'm a massive. Oh wrestling look, fan. look, I love WWF. Come on now, Mr. Perfect didn't win a world title, but I he's the it. man. Th- that that's where it falls short. Because if you add, this is why this is book is important because you have the cultural. And and the and the uh, contextual analysis that's placed within it, so it gives you all the variables to take into account. When you take it down pound for pound, that argument falls flat. Oh, his his, his catalogue isn't great, but his catalogue stands. I mean, you could have people have ten albums, yeah, no. fifteen albums, is, but his two albums, yeah, his, flawed. I mean, you done. can't even call those two albums classic. What, what's beyond the classic? You know what I mean? Like cultural yeah, institution. Yeah, they're, yeah they're, you know, Biggie's songs are in the Library of Congress. You know what I mean? Like, so yep. like that. So I now for the record, I do give Kim credit for hardcore. Yes. Big wrote, you know, a couple of songs on that. And he was he was instrumental in producing that the same way he was instru- instrumental in Puffy's No Way Out. You know, so like, yeah, he, so and he was going to be instrumental in Caesar's uh, first album, you know, because he was working. He was going to turn yeah. Caesar into a star. You know, yeah, and C's C's had a few C's had a few songs. You know, yeah. I like that album. So, <laughs> I like you know, it. I, I and also it's not Biggie's fault. His catalog was two albums. You know, like the dude wanted to do more, but it's just uh, again, I, I don't think anybody did as much in a short amount of time. Because I tell people, look, Ray Dye came out September '94. He was gone by March 1997. That's two and a half years. That's 
two and a half years. <sighs> Even, you know, Pac, who, <sighs> if you take his first solo album was November 91, he was gone by September 1996. That's almost five years. Now, granted, one of those years, he was basically locked up the entire year. It was just 95. Um, that's still a short amount of time as well. But Big had two and a half years. And you can't go into any venue and play the One More Chance remix and not get, not get a reaction out of people. You can't go into any any spot and play Big Pop or you just said Players Anthem and Get Money or the, his verse on Flavor in Your Ear remix. You know, like that, that, that dude... He may have not have had, he, he he may not have had as many verses as the other goats in hip hop, but I venture to say is like that dude never had a whack verse, never had never a whack in verse. life, never had a whack verse. No sir, like, no sir. Yeah. So if I can be blasphemous for another moment towards um, Jehovah, mm -hmm. H O V, um, if you think about Hove, right? I'm sorry to say it, so sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like he had to fill, he filled Biggie's shoes. That's what Puff said, all this stuff, right? We, we, we can debate whether that's true or not, but whatever, right? Yeah. But for him to take on the mantle from Biggie, yeah. it took him a very, very long time, mm -hmm. right? It took him a long time, maybe arguably blueprint. Yeah. Right. For me, I, I think that's when the mantle was like, when I'm finally willing to say like, all right, it's you. But think about how incredible Jay is. And it took him that long to figure it out, navigate. I, I, you know, one album that no one likes, even though I think it's a good album. Um, you know, volume two, he's 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 getting his feet under the and yeah. under the chair now. And then he makes you know Dynasty. But you know, then he's got volume three. Vol, you know, then he's got Blueprint. Yeah. Then he's like, okay, I'm in my zone. I'm yeah. in my LeBron bag. I'm shooting 40, 50 a night, yeah. easy. Right. I'm Messi. I'm scoring 40, 50 goals a season. Yep. But that should tell you how, you know how important big was because he just he did that shit with one album really yeah and then he had the other album and he went oh my god and that's that, that again that's a testament to how how great biggie was yeah facts. um that facts. even even my beloved hover yeah i mean jay would even tell you that you heard the way jay was talking about big on, on that on that on a uh let, let me let, let me yeah let me tell you something justin let me tell you something yeah there's some things that don't interrupt me for for fifa right <laughs> There's some things that don't ever, ever interrupt me in life for FIFA. My wife doesn't interrupt me for FIFA. Right. But when 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 I had the alert on my phone, because when I saw Elliot put it up, I put the alert on my phone. Twelve o'clock. This is what I was, this these were the scenes. I was playing FIFA. One ear I had my friends in. The other ear I had the Twitter spaces. We lost the games, brother. I wasn't listening. I wasn't playing. I <laughs> you wasn't just, listening. Nah, I feel that. <laughs> so all right. So final question. Yeah. And this is an interesting one. And I was fiddling around because I wanted to get my um, wow America's Most Wanted uh, CD because. Yeah. In the life, in the game chapter, you describe Biggie's style. Oh, yeah. And this is important to me because you've got like two of my top five ever in this, right? I mean, Rockin's probably there, I guess. I don't know. Let's not get into that. Yeah. But you describe Biggie's style. And this, I've never heard it like this before. This is why like, I had to pick this out. The confidence of Kane. Yep. The fearlessness of Ice Cube and the precision of Rakim. That, I think, is the best description I've ever read on Biggie's style by sampling other rappers. Yeah. Let's discuss this because yeah. are we talking about... Are we talking about Set It Off Kane? Talking about Raw Kane? Are we talking about Smooth Operator Kane? 
are we talking about and i can't i can't i can't say the word but the the n word you love to hate cube yeah. are we talking about jd grafen like what what and and and, and are we just talking Eric B and Rakim Rakim? So when I said that, Big Daddy Kane was Big's favorite rapper. You know, so he, he, you know, before Big, you know, Kane was the guy from Brooklyn. So when you hear Big rap with like that swagger and you hear like the Big Papas and the One More Chances, like he, he I'm, I'm not saying he got that from Kane, but it, it, it mimicked Kane at his most like Kane type moments. Now, when I said the fearlessness of Cube, yes, the nigga you love to hate, you know what I mean? The, the, the <laughs> yeah, that Cube. And just like, so when you hear records like, you know, Things Done Change or, uh, you know, even the most like, you know, everyday struggle type things, like that's, that's what I mean. You know what I mean? And just flow wise, just the, the aura of things. Sorry, my dogs are up there barking. I got to go let them out. Um, but yeah, so that's what I meant by, by that combination. Not not saying that he picked different parts of those artists, but like when you hear him in that type of bag, it's like, damn, like he's he can go like bar for bar with Cube at his most like aggressive. He can go bar for bar with Kane at his most um uh you know at his most laid back and Rakim just being like the the god MC that he is from New York, which Biggie eventually became. So yeah, no, no. Oh, by the way, I should I should clarify. I wasn't saying that you you, you picked it. I think I think the the way you wrote it is a point that Chris made earlier. That you know you you the writing style is able to sample from different references, and I think that's what's. I think that's brilliant. I, honestly, no, I've I never pre- I appreciate I've never that. genius. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He listened to everybody. He listened to everybody. I loved, I loved that. Listen, Justin, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, we we respect you. This is the only thing I would say as a failed homo sapien is take a victory lap, bro. This is a victory lap. For sure. And there'll be many more. So just take as many victory laps around the stadium as much as possible. This is incredible. Um, and I love, I'm loving to see the impact it's having, the way people are talking about Thank it. Thank you. It's a testament and yeah, man. Yeah. God bless, man. You've, you've done, you've, it's an achievement to do this. So it's a great undertaking. You've done very, very well. So thank you. Thank thank you all so much for having me on for real. Peace once again to, to Justin. Boy, I had fun with that one. I had fun. That was a great conversation. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Biggie Smalls is the illest, isn't it? 2022, brother. Imagine you know, you're still I, like, the illest, bro. I had, I had, I had um, trouble because throughout that I was refrain. You know, because I'm quite corny sometimes. Because like I'm, um, I'm corny, That's true. so I was refrained from making too many puns. Because like I think that shit's funny, but it's not really funny to people and listening. But then yeah, you know, I've got to be like trash. true to myself and authentic crap, right? No, I don't. I no, don't. you don't. No, you don't. Keep that one. <laughs> keep that part to yourself. <laughs> no, I really look. I really enjoyed that conversation. He's a great guy, man, and like very humble yeah. and. And, yeah. you know, he, he understands the undertaking he took, but he's taken that in his stride. And like I said, victory laps for him because, you know, that's not easy. Like, can you imagine, like, you being approached to write a book about Biggie? Like, that in itself. Like, I, 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 I like, where do, do I start? Like, like he was saying that. Like, I, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. Yeah, it's serious, bro. But it also shows you about having a good support system around you. He's obviously um highly regarded and it's people that love and care about him and want the best and support him. And like you said, he couldn't have done that book by himself. And I think that's a that's a testament yes, to community. Yes, I, I agree. I agree. So make sure you go buy the book. We'll have it in the description. I really enjoyed it. I, like I said, he brought us out of hiatus for it. And I, I love it. 
bro, we've I been hyping listen, it, man. bro. <laughs> like, I, I, like, I just want... No, nah, I'm enjoying it, you know. I'm, I'm enjoying gonna, the I'm nomination, bro. If I, if, I be, if I can be frank. Um, if I could be Go ahead. frank. Frank White. Frank White, is that a pun? I wasn't say Frank Butcher. Okay, cool. But, Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Frank White is then. Um, if if yeah. um, if I can be Frank White, King of New York for a second. Um, I, only have, I only want to have conversations like that now. Like I, I yeah, just, like, I know what you I, mean, bro. If 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 we get told, hey, Justin Tinsley, would you like to would you like to speak to Justin? Like, yes, we'll do it because I know I I know what we're getting, um, and I'm mm. I'm kind of like let's just do that once a month, like and 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 also you know war report bun that just bun it completely bun them all everyone like just bun it all completely finish. Um, for the benefit of the listener, <laughs> I just want you to know I'm hearing all this stuff <laughs> for the first time, like. This is not this a is drill, not a okay? I'm hearing it for the Sorry, first so wow, 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 no. time. I roll with whatever. I roll with. I roll no. with whatever, bro. I'm here in my house eating salmon, yeah. barbecue chicken. So firstly, I can't say the N word, and also I don't eat meat. So thanks for that. You know, I'm just, I'm just, I, I'm just being Safe. excluded from. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not about <laughs> inclusivity, you know. No, no diversity. Nah, listen, that, that, Justin's that. great. I've, I feel so. I feel so energized after talking to him. Like that's. Yeah, he's a solid, 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 solid guy, and I, I am, um, I mean, I'm happy for him. Shout out to Fran, who arranged the interview. We, we, we appreciate you. Thank you so much, um, you know, for reaching out to us and wanting us to talk to Justin. That doesn't go over my factual, head. I appreciate actual, factual, it. right? You can follow us on social media at Break the Atoms, Twitter and Instagram. Chris's handle is at I'm Kinetic. Mine's is at Hip Hop Chronicle. Until then, peace. Peace. peace.